Hey folks, welcome to Pivot Point. My name is Joseph DiBiase and this is my podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to Pivot Point. This is the podcast that explores the journeys of artistic people, how they got started, where they got started, who helped them along the way, how they overcame personal hurdles, and how they persevered in a competitive atmosphere. Okay, before we get started, let's put something on the table here. Most of you know me as Joe or Joseph DeBisi, and that's correct. I grew up with my name pronounced DeBisi. But then I went to Italy and I found out that my name is pronounced DiBiase. So that is why, for those of you who have known me all my life, are hearing me now say, my name is Joseph DiBiase. Okay, now that that's on the table, how are you doing out there? Are you taking care of yourself? Are you looking after your mental and physical health? Are you being kind to yourself and to your neighbor? This is a time for generosity. This is a time for grace. Remember, we are all in this pandemic together. Uh, I got to say, I'm really astonished at how so many people think this is a hoax or it's been politicized and it is something to defeat the other side. Um, I I just, my brain just can't comprehend that kind of thinking. We really do have a pandemic. People are dying. I know two people who have had it. I don't want to get it. Uh, There are long-lasting effects on the body. So, yeah, this is real. And take it as such. Um, I see lots of people not wearing masks. I don't get that either. Uh, What does it take? You know, I did see a post by somebody that said, if it's mandated, we wear seatbelts. You know, what's wrong with being mandated with wearing a mask? That being said, my mantra is this. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. And like most of you, I'm in this place of every day is like the next day. It's not like today's Monday or is it Thursday? Well, wait, is it Friday? What day is today? So do what you can to mark out that day. Pull out your projects. Do the special project you've been wanting to do. Research your software. Whatever it is that will help mark out your day, give you some order to your day and structure, go for it. Just go for it. I will share this. One of the things that we do here is we do a dance party a day. That means find a song, any song, kick it on and do some dancing. You'd be surprised how great you feel afterwards. So there's that. Try that out. Okay. So on today's show, I am beyond thrilled to have Bobby Banks as our first guest on Pivot Point. Bobby and I have known each other over the years, but only got to work together for the first time on Queen and Slim, a movie I highly recommend, extremely relevant today and definitely relevant for the rest of our lives. Bobby is a supervising sound editor, dialogue editor, supervising dialogue editor. She is somebody who will edit dialogue for a TV show or film. She will work with actors for looping or ADR, which is automatic dialogue replacement 
And so sometimes they'll do that because of technical problems or an actor wants a different read or a director wants a different read. And then there are times when Bobby would have to create a, a, a moment or two with the dialogue that, that's already been recorded. And sometimes it's off screen, sometimes like in The League of Their Own, where she would have to create all of the chatter on the ball field, you know, you know, you're no batter, that kind of thing. She's had a very interesting career, very interesting career trajectory. Uh, we recorded this back in March when the lockdown just began. And if you remember, Nashville had a tornado. So here is Bobby Banks for Pivot Point Episode 1. <laughs> been out since like 5 15 this morning because i um there's a a few people that they just don't have stuff like they can't get toilet paper they can't get wipes or mm. stuff like that so i go like senior day is at walmart is today and at costco mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so then i go get in line to get a few things so when people say i don't have you know i can you know give them something. that's great I sent like three cans of Lysol to somebody in Tennessee because she had just finished all her cancer treatments, mm. but they didn't have any Lysol out there. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, I know. I know. They got hit hard with the tornado mm -hmm. and then they got, you know, like everybody else, the pandemic. So it's, it's pretty rough out there. <sighs> yeah. Crazy. Yeah, it is. It is. Everything is just... Uh, I, I, I emailed a friend and I said, it feels like Mother Nature has said to us, all right, everybody, go to your room. <laughs> <laughs> it just, everybody should go to their room for like, I think everybody should go to their room for two weeks. Yeah, that's it. and Or longer. And it, nothing. Don't do anything. Yeah. Go to your room and don't come out until I tell you to. Yep. <laughs> Not that that ever happened to me as a child. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. I'm so excited. Yeah. Uh, you're willing to take the time. Do you know Alicia? Uh, Alicia Birnbaum? Birnbaum? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the first time I met Alicia was when I first started working at Sound One. Yeah. And Alicia came walking out. He was this hairy dude with a, yep. you know, the beard, wearing shorts and a t-shirt and stilettos with very hairy legs. And I'm like, <laughs> what the heck is that? <laughs> <laughs> and he's, hello, hello, Joe. Nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he, he was um, so instrumental uh, in getting everything together in New York and brought together such a wonderful family. It was really, really yeah. cool. He's, really, really nice. And, um, Jeremy hired me. That's right. That's yeah. right. Well, so tell me, uh, so take me back. So where, uh, where, where did you grow up? Tell me about that. So I just grew up in um, the Southwest. Mm -hmm. Were you always interested in sound or was oh, there no. other interests? No, not at all. My mom was a secretary. Uh-huh. So I just always felt that I was going to be a secretary. Mm. Um because I think sometimes um we do 
what our parents do. Mm-hmm. And so I actually, um, when I did start working, that's kind of what I did. I went into and being a secretary, and administrative assistant, that kind of thing. And then when was it that you first saw the light of the film industry or sound? Like, how did that, how did you get interested in that? Well, it was just by a fluke. And that's, uh, I got hired at Sound One by Jeremy and Alicia for administrative assistant and assistant bookkeeper because they also had sound mixers, a recording studio on the second floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that yeah. studio. Yeah. And so I, um, that was my whole introduction to sound. Like, you know, it's like I go to the movies and that kind of thing, but it wasn't like that was something I thought about doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Roberta uh, was in the sound effects library. And on my lunch hour, like I would like start to go to different departments to see what they did. Uh-huh. And I saw that she was in the sound effects library. And she was, you know, this quarter inch tape and she had headphones on. And, you know, she was um, I would listen to the to to the effects. And she was explaining to me, you know, like what this was and that she was logging them in. And I was like, oh, well, that's kind of interesting. Um, and so then what I did was I would go in on my lunch hour and go through the library and start listening to things. And I would hear like, say there was a break in sound or there was like some kind of, uh, a sound that was not normal to what the sound actually was. And so what I did was there was a splicer and the, the razor blade. And I was like, Oh, let me see if I can like, see if I can take that out. Oh, wow. And so I actually, I wound up, I was cleaning the effects in the library, not really understanding what I was doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Till somebody listened to what I, because they asked me, somebody came in one day and asked me what I was doing. And I told them. And so they were listening. And that's when they told me I was cleaning the effects. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And how long were you working as an administrator at Sound One before you started Cutting. Well, that was um. So what happened was, uh, when I started like really liking to clean up the effects, mm-hmm. so I went to to Jeremy and Alicia, and I said, you know, this is what I'd like to do, and they're like, they wanted me to stay on the administrative side, so they were going to cut my salary, um, like <laughs> fifty dollars back then, fifty dollars. Oh yeah, single parent. Yeah, uh, was a big deal. Yeah, and so they, I said to them, okay, fine, I'll do it. And they're like, you got to be kidding. So yeah. I was in the sound effects library, and then I started picking effects for clients. Wow. Um, and now, and was I, that on the second floor? Wait, no, wait. It was on the eighth floor. Eighth floor. Yeah, that's right. That's eighth. where the main... The main um, the Foley stage, mm-hmm. the main stage. Yeah, they yeah. were all on the eighth floor. Yeah. The second floor was sound mixers. Right. And then the seventh floor was editorial. Right. And then they bought the third floor. And then they bought the third floor. They bought the third floor in the mid-80s. Wow, yeah. And so then after I did the choosing the effects for clients, you know, they really wanted me to go back to administration with them. So I said, okay. So I went back to the administration, and then I was like, man, I'd really like to mix. Oh, and my. I was like, how long would it take me to learn how to mix? And then it's like, oh, five to seven years. I'm like, that's a long time. I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so then I 
what happened? I then I got I got ill and I left for a little while. I came back. I was a receptionist and I was like, I just can't do this. Oh, wow. So then um, they said, OK, well, since you want to try to mix or be in the machine room, um, we'll give you six weeks to learn how to run the machine room. Wow. So you were working in one of um, like Tommy's studio in the machine room or something? No, like that? this was before Tommy came. This was Mel Zelniger. Oh, was Mel's room. Oh, yeah. I, I know Mel. Yeah, upstairs when yeah. you first walk in. Oh, yeah. That's right. Off to the left. I've, yeah. mixed, I've mixed a few projects with Mel there. Yeah. That's so wild. And so Peter Riley, is, oh, yeah. he was a projectionist. So I learned the projector. So I had six weeks. So I had my little notebook. I drew all the pictures on how to thread up stuff, the patch bay. Um, then they had another um, another section where they had a whole bunch of other dubbers. They had like 20-something dubbers. So I had to learn the tie lines, everything in six weeks. And wow. I didn't go to school for any of this. Right, right. When you got sick, did that really throw everything back for you? Like how long were you out? I think I was out for like two months or something. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. it wasn't really that long. But okay. when I came back, I, you know, it's like, what really do I want to do now? Yeah. You know? Isn't that a great question to ask one's self? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what is it that I really want to do? What brings yeah. me joy? And, the, and where's that passion? Yeah. And so were you in your 20s then? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Early twenties. And so I um so what I so six weeks in and my first mix was with Mel and everything went fine. Oh, that's great. And did Mel make any comments? Nah, I think he did at the end, but at that Mel used to be like well, he was the only mixer there. So it was like if you could work with Mel, you could work with anyone. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mel. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so then they um, they bought within that year, I believe, they bought the third floor. Mm -hmm. And then they had um, – and then I ran the machine room down there. On the third floor. I'm trying to remember. And now Tommy hadn't come yet. Is that right? Because it was Lee. Tommy hadn't come yet. Goodness. I'm trying to yeah, – Lee Dichter. Yeah, Lee. Lee had Lee Dichter had a student on the second floor. Yeah. He came he when Lee came, that's when the third that was for the third floor. Mm, okay. Um because he came from fifty fourth street mm -hmm. um down. And so then it was just Lee Dichter and Mel. Yeah, okay. And then Tommy came let me see, I think I left like eighty five, eighty six, oh, around eighty six. And that's when Tommy came a little bit after I left. Wow. And what made the, the change? So you were cutting sound effects, you were cleaning sound effects, and you were doing machine room work. Yeah. I stopped. Um, I did. I was cleaning sound effects. Then I chose effects for clients. Then when I came back, then I ran the machine room. And I did that for like a year. And then I, was, I got bored. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I get it. Well, you know... I remember back in the day, uh, all the machine room uh, people, it, I mean, they just hung out and read and listened to see if there mm -hmm. were any bad, bad edits or, you know, pops in the tracks or any right. bad punches and then yeah. change the reels. And that was it. So yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I would last all of like two weeks on that job. <laughs> yeah, it was hard. So then I, so then I, um, I actually quit 
And I started handing, I know what it was. So I handed out my resume to people. I was still in New York. So I handed out my resume. So I figured I want to try to edit. Oh, picture edit or sound? Sound edit. Okay. And so I started handing my resume. Three months later, I got a job by um, Maurice Shell. Oh, yes. I remember Maurice. Mo hired me on Desperately Seeking Susan. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was uh, Craig McKay was cutting that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Susan Seidelman's movie. Yes. I remember that. Yeah. That was my first. We worked a uh, hundred hours. Oh, my. That was my introduction to Apprentice. <laughs> yeah. Apprentice. Was it scary? No. Because it, you mean scary in the sense of what? Well, you know, well, first, just even getting the courage to walk around sound one and hand out your resume, just to make oh, that curious. Yeah. And then, then, you know, Maurice, uh, I remember working with Maurice for the first time, and it was intimidating. Mm. But you know, after a while, when you get to know him, he was like, just a real sweetheart. Real, yeah, real. And really, a talented man. Yeah. And I remember him telling me one time, I can't remember what project it was on. And he just said to me, I'd like to add a live quality to all the sound effects. So if I have a door closed, I try to find another animal sound that can blend with it. Mm. And I'm like, oh, that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that opened my eyes up to out-of-the-box thinking and mm. out-of-the-box creative thinking. And it was it was something I've always remembered, just to think outside that box. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, 100 hours, that was your first job. It was my first job. And they um, they were really sweet. They did one of those. Um, they had torn, one of the guys tore up a piece of mag. And they said they really, they don't know how it happened. But, I, you know, I really needed, if I could fix it for them. I mean, it was like in pieces. Oh, my gosh. So I, you know, I fixed it. I I was so proud of myself, and it was a joke. It was kind of oh. like, we need sprocket holes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I remember those jokes. Oh, that's yeah, terrible. Yeah. So it was a bit of a uh, hazing, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then once you did it, you were like one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, And then I was like, oh, shoot, I know how to do this. You know, like <laughs> those, yeah. one of those things. And they were just, you know, everybody was so kind in showing me how to do things and um, till I got the hang of it. Yeah. And then I got hired by Dan Sable. Oh, yes. Yeah. Hastings Sound. Mm-hmm. And um, on a couple of shows before uh, before I moved to New York. L.A. And, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, L.A. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. what what was the driving force to move out of New York to go to L.A.? I just wanted to be somewhere different. Mm-hmm. And only two places at that time was New York and L.A. Yes. Yeah. It's pretty much still the same way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I don't know where else we could go I know. to do post. Just little shops here and there. And then when I moved here, I uh, when I moved to L.A., I fortunately, I got a job in a week. Wow. Good and it for was you. at Canon. Huh? I said, good for you. It was amazing. I got... Uh, it was at Cannon, mm-hmm. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Oh, my. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> I know, right right into the... But it was a feature. I know, I know, I know. And um, I... 
<laughs> and at that time, you couldn't get. There was like a waiting list to oh get. Oh my into gosh! Food. Oh yes, I remember. So uh, um, I'll just share this with you. When I first yeah. moved out to LA, thinking, okay, LA, I'm here, <laughs> and um, wanted to do, I wanted to be a composer, and couldn't find any kind of work at all, and the unions were closed for editing. But my first someone, I don't remember who said, uh, well, you know, I can give you a job for a couple of weeks. You know, it wasn't union, so it wasn't the pay wasn't great. And and I don't even remember what I was editing, if I was editing music or anything. I just don't remember. But it was Valley Girls 2. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, okay, I'll take it. (laughs) So Chainsaw Massacre 2, here we go. Yeah. Wow. And, um, it was at Canon, and I uh, I did a couple of shows at Canon, and then they the union wanted to do uh, wanted Canon to do a low budget agreement with them. Mm-hmm. And so Canon wanted the people that were there working to go on strike. And you know, being I just came from New York, I'm like, okay. What do you get? What do we get? Right. Going on strike, you know? And so we got in the union that way. Oh, wow. Yep. Because it was like a waiting list of like five years. So how fortunate. That's amazing. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. So then that job, did you, so that job came and went and they give you other work or what happened? Yeah, I got um, just a couple of people, you know, that I had met here. I think I did maybe two or three more shows after that. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I think through one of the ADR editors is how I met Beth Bergeron. Okay. Tell me about that. Beth um, was a, same was because she's since passed, but um, she was a ADR supervisor Mm -hmm. and one that was, she's a sweetheart out of a person and she very detailed um, very artistic, and she just had a wonderful way of working with people and working with the actors. And um, I was her assistant for many, many, many years. Mm. And was she looking, was Beth looking for help An at the time? Yeah. I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so we just, you know, we worked together. We worked a lot at a place called Director Sound in Burbank. And then another place on the east, on the west side, I can't remember the name. But, um, you know, Beth had, she just, she she had a way of, um, like, everything was documented. I mean, there was loads and loads of paper everywhere because she just documented everything. Mm. And just the way that she was able to get the performance that you need out of an, out of an actor uh, was just, it was just wonderful. It was just like a, you know, like say, like a symphony kind of, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we have the conductor that's going, you know, like, it's kind of like that. It was like that kind of to watch her. Oh, wow. I bet that must've been exciting. Mm-hmm. And from there, that's when you said to yourself, that's what I want to do. Yeah. Because I like people and it's very creative, especially when you come uh, have to shoot group. Mm-hmm. And you have to recreate a scene with group um, and to get uh, have it so whether it's the recording between the recording, the editing and the mixing 
to actually have the person that's hearing in a theater to be in that same space, yeah, giving them the same emotion. You know, that's uh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, I bet it was. And so that pretty much launched your ADR and dialogue editing career, would you say? Mm-hmm. Or or was it yeah. difficult for you to break out on your own? Or did she, did Beth just like, ah, here, you handle this film? No, um, there's a couple of things. One is... Beth didn't hire me as a as an editor. She, I would get so frustrated because I was like, you know, I was kind of uh, making changes and and uh, cutting, you know, cutting a few things. But she wouldn't hire me as an editor. Mm. So another guy, Robert Heffernan, hired me on uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the first one. Okay. And so I walked into the uh, edit room and there was a roll of Mac, different roles. And I thought that I was, you know, an assistant. Nobody told me I was editing. Mm -hmm. And so I'm looking at this. I was like, what the heck am I supposed to do? And so I called Beth. I go, Beth. Am I supposed to be because I was too embarrassed? Yeah, yeah. To ask Robert, and um, she says, "No, no, no, you're editing." I was like, "Oh my gosh!" So, (laughs) (laughs) and it turned out great. I just like, okay, what am I? You know, it's like it was my first real editing job. Yeah. And I didn't want to say that I didn't know how to edit at that point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And so I figured, you know, and talking to Beth, and I, you know, remembered everything from when I was building tracks and, and all that stuff. And so it turned out fine. Yeah, I bet it did. <laughs> and so um, after that, uh, I think I worked with Robert a couple of films and then Beth hired me as an editor. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. And uh, we worked on, uh, I worked with her on A League of Their Own. Oh, yeah. Well, I love that movie. And the thing about the A League of Their Own is, of course, it was mag then. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. so like now I can put I can hear everybody's if I record five different people at five different times, I can hear everything mm-hmm. I can play on the stage. I can play what somebody else recorded. But back then you couldn't. Yeah. So each actor we recorded, she recorded separately. But then we as editors had to listen to every single thing that was recorded and make conversations like whenever they were in the dugout and out in the field, we had to put those conversations together. Like nobody played off of each other. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Holy cows. Now, did you, did you work closely with the picture department to do that if it was on camera no. or is it just all off camera? It was all off camera. Okay. Yeah. Um, because so we did like the scenes in the dugouts, you know, in the field and, and those kind of things, listening to what, you know, that's one where where Beth had written everything down. She wrote down everything that everybody said. <laughs> so then you had to read wow. what everybody said and then make wow. up these conversations. Oh, my gosh. What details. And then we I had the real no crying in baseball. Yes. Yeah. That's when. I actually realized that because, you know, when she's crying, even though uh, they record the crying, it's not always the same as the picture. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Mm -hmm. And so you have to really, as an ADR editor, you really have to figure out 
like what sob, what breath, what sound is going to go for that look on the screen. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's such an intricate thing. I just loved it. And I realized I just really loved doing it. Oh, it was so creative. Yeah. And it's an instant gratification. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, so you, you know, your career, you've done over 112 feature films. I'm like, wow, that's a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. And you're also, I don't know how you find the time for all this stuff that you were the longest president for the MPSE. And there are a few other things. When we were working on Queen and Slim, you were telling me some other things that you were involved in. Mm. And I'd like to hear more about that as mm. part of your life. So I am. Um, so I was president of Motion Picture Sound Editors, which was a wonderful, um, just a really satisfying time. Like, mm. you know, because people don't understand what sound editors do and, you know, to really help try to highlight what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, Sound, Mm -hmm. music, you know, people just don't really understand. So I did that for eight years. And then after, I became a member of the Academy Mm -hmm. of Picture Arts and Sciences and a member of the Television Academy as well. Mm. I was also the chair for two years at the Academy for their A2020 initiative for diversity and inclusion. Mm. And so it was not only with the sound branch, but it was through all branches of the academy. And um, sitting with the various branches, and they had different committees for each branch, trying to reach out to people that have been overlooked. Whether, you know, because what happens is people, we just get used to working with the same people over and over again sure. because you're comfortable. Yeah. But then you have people that are diverse in nature, whether it's their nationality or, you know, they're disabled or their age or, you know, whatever, that just kind of don't work on, they don't get hired for, say, the Oscar-winning films, like large-budget films. Sure, the tent poles. Yeah, and so, you know, people, they tend to get overlooked. Yeah. Um, And so... You know, our thing was to go out and and try to find, you know, people that were qualified that met the requirements for each branch. Mm. So I chaired that for two years. And then um, all the while, all the while, excuse me, but all the while you're still working on films. Yes. Yeah. Because my thing is, well, which I didn't say before, you know, because I'm I'm half black and half white, but people only see the black part. They don't see the white part, which is just Mm. normal. Um, And so when I was an apprentice, I worked a lot. Mm -hmm. When I became an editor, I worked pretty much okay. When I became a supervisor, then I got less work because they don't want to really give you that kind of, quote unquote, what they call power, I guess, to make decisions. Mm. Um, and then, unfortunately, people think that you can only work on black films. Oh, my gosh. So you kind of get pigeonholed, which is still yeah very prevalent with that. And you kind of get in a hole because then, you know, you might have black directors who think that because you're black, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So yeah. It's like a weird, it's a very weird kind of uh, situation that mm. we kind of, yeah, unfortunately, we get in. So... W- I just feel that we need to give back and 
we need to help the new ones come up Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and mentor them and, you know, really help them not only mentor them in editing, but just how to get around in life and in this industry. Mm -hmm. And so I still chair the sound branch inclusion committee, but I also serve on the grants and scholarship committee. I serve on the membership screen committee, Nicole's screen script writing committee as well at the Academy. Yeah. Bobby, that is just so great. Uh, You know, I guess we can say we, I wanted to say we live in such weird times, but we've been living in this, these times for a long time. Mm-hmm. And not only do we have racism, but we also have sexism. Yeah. And and for, gosh, I don't even know how to appropriately even say it, but for a woman and a woman of color or, or half black, half white woman, as yeah. you would say, to have achieved so much and to continually look back to see how can we help others is yeah. is what I think our our life is all about. Yeah. You know, we all, I think when we're younger, we kind of go, well, how do I survive in this world? <laughs> and then when we start figuring some of that out, we start looking around at some of the the uh, injustices that happen and we want to go and try to make a difference and yeah. make a change. And yeah. when we were chatting on a break at Queen and Slim, these are the stories that you were telling me. And this is one of the reasons why I'm like, okay, this is that we need to. I need to start a podcast, and we need mm-hmm. to, we need to have a chat, um, yeah. because I know there are so many uh, people like you, like myself, uh, and others who really want to make a difference in our mm-hmm. world, um, and not just in you know the product that we put out there. Because yeah. we, we do strive for excellence and we do strive for great creativity, uh, but it's that all serves the end of having a, a better life to live yeah. and opportunities. Um, and I mean, we are all in this together. And yeah. the, the sooner we all <laughs> understand that, the better we all are. <laughs> I know. But so, people are just like. Um, you know, worried about, you know, it's like close to their retirement. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they want to make sure that, you know, they're going to be okay. So they're not going to, you know, mentor anybody, show anybody anything. Oh, you know, know, it's just the craziest thing. I find that in New York, I, well, I haven't, in New York, people just don't care. It's like in the sense of as long as you know what you're doing, they don't look at the outward appearance. Mm-hmm, you know, they, they mm-hmm. don't here. And I think, unfortunately, here, there's a lot of it in California. And I don't, uh, it's just unfortunate. I think it's just kind of inbred um, in what people think like California should be, you know, with, you know, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. It's, there's a lot of fear that if I show you, then I somehow have lost what Mm -hmm. I've gained. Mm -hmm. And the exact opposite is the truth. The more yeah. you share, the more you 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 gain, quite frankly. Yeah. And people, I think, don't understand that no matter what I share or you share about what I've learned, uh, the aesthetics of, of film or storytelling, mm-hmm. it's still going to be the way I do it. 
Yes, yes. I can I I share what I do with people who really want to know and and um and then it's like, you know, you do it the way you do it now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and that's that's the uniqueness that we all have. And yeah. so we we really don't lose anything. Yeah. You know, and so I think it's wonderful that you have that openness about it and and I think it probably has come back to you a hundredfold, I'm sure. You know, I um sometimes I uh work with used to work with inner city filmmakers and at the end, I mean, these kids are like sponges. And mm. if you just give them five, ten minutes of your time, it's like gold to them. Yeah, yeah. And so then at the end of their six-week program, you know, they give you – you have a picture with everybody in it and people sign it. They sign it and they give it to you. And I just cry every single time because these kids go like – they'll sleep overnight or – you know, they don't know how they're going to get to the place, you know, the class and mm-hmm. all the stuff that they do to even just get in the class. And they're so talented. Yeah. Yeah. That's really great. I mean, uh, you give these kids an opportunity to tap into themselves and the, and what they want to express. It, it's It's beautiful. Yeah, it's just a. It's because again, it goes back to that individual thumbprint. You know, no, no two fingerprints are the same, and that's how it is in creativity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it it's beautiful to see that you're giving these inner city kids opportunities for that. That's really great, and for them, you know, it might be the thing that changed their life. Hmm. You you know, we just don't know, but it's like yeah. I remember. When, you know, Miss Bobby Banks came and she showed us this and she showed us that. And it could be some young man, it could be some young uh, woman and or I mean, they're kids, but it just was such an impact that says I could do this. It just people just want to know that you hear them, that you see them. You know what I mean? It's like you really take an interest in in them. Yeah. And did did Beth take an interest in you? Did you would you say she was the, your prime mentor, the one who really turned things around for you? Yes, Beth Bergeron was a great mentor, mm-hmm. not only to me mm. but a lot of ADR editors. Oh, that's cool. Um, I'd also like to add John Singleton because John uh-huh. and Bruce Cannon hired mm-hmm. me for my very first ADR supervising job on Poetic Justice, mm. and. Being that I had previously worked on A League of Their Own with mm-hmm. Beth, mm-hmm. it kind of helped <laughs> yeah. to, for them to hire me on, you know, because of my experience. Sure, sure. And so, um, also, John helped to really instill in me how to be present in a scene, how to really feel the scene. Like, mm. I was there so that... When we're recording, whether it's principal or group ADR, the audience is going to feel the same as if it was recorded production. Yeah, that's great. So there's a scene in Poetic Justice towards the end Mm -hmm. with Janet Jackson and Tupac. Mm. And they're sitting on a hill. There's a lot of wind. There's a lot of leaves blowing. And we had to re-record that whole scene 
because at that time we didn't have isotopes, so it was very difficult to get those leaves out, which mm. is overpowering right. the dialogue. Yeah. And uh, John and the studio, everybody was very happy with the end result because you couldn't tell that it was ADR. That's great. And that's great. really, you know, what we tried to do. Right, right, um, yeah. And also, subsequently, John hired me on all of his films after. Nice. And pilots for his TV series. Wow. And, That's great. Um, you know, we had a working relationship, obviously, but it also became like a family, mm-hmm. you know, and as we work, and as you know, mm-hmm. our relationships with with the people that we work with is so vitally important yeah. um, for the end result. Sure. So I am so grateful yeah. to Beth and John um, for all that they instilled and trusted me with. That is just great. Yeah. Now yeah. tell me, did all your productions go on hiatus? Uh, yeah, we. I was working on uh, Coming to America 2. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think... We had a new picture editor that had come in, and so the, everything just stopped. Mm. So we're not we were not authorized to work at home. So okay, yeah, well, that's pretty much everybody. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's just a few people. Um, I think there were some a couple of TV shows at Warner Brothers that had about I think maybe three or four more episodes that they had already shot mm-hmm. that they wanted to to finish. And I think there were like two films over there uh, when I left. So they have a few weeks of going, I think. So yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well. And you too? Yeah. Yeah. I, I was working on Cruella. I was actually a second music editor just helping on attempt for a director's cut. And my time, I was finished on a Friday, but that Thursday was when they were like, okay, Hollywood just started shutting down. Boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. but I'm honestly, I'm enjoying the time because I'm, I'm able to focus on this podcast and I'm writing music stuff that I want to write. I'm writing some game music for um, a game developer in Syria, no less. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's good. I, I, I'm kind of digging, like, you know, stay, <laughs> stay in your room and play. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, good. Yeah, I saw on the Facebook when you created some music that was really good. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I was, I that was a tough day. Mm. Just feeling really anxious about mm-hmm. what's going on. And it just kind of landed pretty heavily. And so I was about to start working on the game music. And then I came across this patch and I started playing with it. I'm like, oh, this is really hitting something for me. Mm. So I just played it through and I thought, well, that really helped. And I thought, well, if it helped me, then I'm sure it's going to help others. So I just put the camera up and I just replayed it. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was great. <laughs> well, Thanks thank you. for sharing. Yeah, yeah. No, I think if, you know, if it hits me again, I'm going to do it again. So <laughs> I'll just keep on, you know, putting stuff out there. Well, um, are we good? <laughs> I'm so happy for you with this podcast. Yay! <laughs> Me too. Thank you so very much for your time. We'll we'll talk soon. And you do it well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you guys stay safe and healthy, okay? Uh, thank you, Bobby. You too. We'll talk soon. Okay. 
Amazing, right? The wonderful Bobby Banks. I'm so grateful to you, Bobby, for being the first guest on my show. And people remember, if she's doing it, why not you? Okay, wash your hands, don't touch your face. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>